Good morning, Lydia House. Good morning to you who are here. And good morning to you who are not here, who are there. We know that if you're not here, you're there. Before I give the invocation, I want to just say something about our last week. We were in California. Karen and I went out. <coughs> and it's interesting that if it gets, the weather gets down to 55, of course they put their jackets on, right? <laughs> And I said, if the weather gets up to 40, we don't wear our jackets. At least I don't. <laughs> and they said, off. wait a minute. That, that doesn't <laughs> compute. But uh, it was beautiful out in California, and it's beautiful in Minnesota. Yes. What a beautiful day mm -hmm. God has given us. And so we, we began in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you. Father, uh, those of us who live here in Minnesota, we thank you for the, where you've placed us, where you've put us. And we want to be an influence in this city, in this state, in this country. And by your grace, we can. We're thankful for those who can gather together one way or the other, on Zoom or later on online. We thank you for technology. We thank you that it, technology can help to bring us together in these days when some of us aren't able to be together. We are still together. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of us. And so, Jesus, you who are with us now in our homes, wherever we are, or right here at Lydia House on Lydia Avenue, thank you, Jesus. King Jesus, we worship you and we give this time to you. We give the worship time, the sharing time, the, the preaching time with Nate. We give it all to you. Amen. Amen. So we'd like to pray also for our nation. And I'm going to ask Tim if you would... Pray for our nation, Timothy. Absolutely. <clears throat> Lord, we just uh, thank you for your spirit of your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to sp um, spread your spirit abroad on the land, Lord. Spread your spirit of deliverance, your spirit of love your spirit of salvation and redemption. We ask you, Lord, to deliver us from evil. We ask you, Lord, to help us forgive our sins and, forgive, and help us to forgive those who sinned against us. We ask you, Lord, to manifest your glory you said you would not let another have your glory, and we ask you, Lord, to show yourself strong on our behalf, Lord. Show yourself strong on the behalf of your people, yes. and, and let your glory be known in the land, Lord. And uh, we just pray. Uh, 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 we we <laughs> declare that the enemy has no longer any power, no longer has authority, no longer can enslave us 
because, Lord, you have given us a spirit of freedom. Freedom mm -hmm. to follow you. Freedom to, to breathe um, and the breath of life that yes. you have given us, Lord. Thank you. And we just, uh, we just declare your, your glory yes, on our land, and we just mm -hmm. pray for, mm -hmm. for uh, all those in authority. Lord, we ask you for those in authority to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, whether they know you or not, Lord, for we know that you work in and through the lives of men. The, um, the, the, the heart of a king is like channels of water in your hands, Lord, and you can flow it through either way, one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so we just thank you, Lord, and give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. I tell my children, give and it shall be given to you. And they have learned to be generous. And I'm very thankful because those who are generous with their life are gen and generous with their funds tend to be generous in other ways. And that's, uh, our kids have learned that, and I'm thankful that I learned it from my parents. And so that box is for those who would like to give to the ministry of Lydia House. We're thankful that we keep going, and it's because people are kind and generous. So you can use that if you desire to. We want to prepare our hearts for worship and we do that through looking inside. We don't stare inside, but we look inside to see if there is anything in us. The psalmist said, uh, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I just invite you to close your eyes, look inside for a moment. Is there anything inside that you want to deal with? Any attitude, any action, any quick word? any uh, unkind stare, anything that would keep you from worshiping today, just silently acknowledge it, confess it, thank God that he forgives you through Jesus Christ. And as we are in prayer, we are also in prayer for those who need healing. We continue to pray for our daughter, Naomi, for healing. And any, anyone else here that uh, uh, we've prayed for Steve and Laura lately. How is your situation? How are you folks doing? Any, any need for ongoing prayer for, for you two? Just continue. Um, yeah, just. There's a little positive movement. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep the prayer going. Okay. Yes. Okay. We thank you, God, that you are, you are good to us, and you promise to, bring, to heal those who come to you. And so we speak healing to those with us who need your healing. We speak out faith and healing. We thank you that you identify yourself in fact, before you identified yourself as a father, you identified yourself as a healing God. And so thank you for your healing 
where we need it. So I don't wear my mask when I'm singing, but uh, you're welcome to, to wear your masks. Uh, if you're with somebody, especially, I, I ask people if they want me to wear a mask. I certainly wear a mask. So uh, we're going to sing together. You're welcome to stand if you want to. You don't have to. But we're going to sing the first one. It's a song that we sang often at Trinity. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus, who in bitter pain poured for me the lifeblood from his sacred veins. Grace and life eternal in that blood I find. Blessed be his compassion infinitely kind blessed through endless ages be the precious stream which from endless torments did the world redeem Abel's blood for vengeance lead it to the skies but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries oft as earth exalted lost its praise on high angel hosts rejoicing make their glad Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lord. Hallelujah, 
sing to you, O Lord. We bless your name. We sing to you. We bless you, we bless your name, O Lord, sing hallelujah. Praise your holy name, praise your holy name, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. I will. Bless the Lord and give him glory. Oh, I will bless his name and give him glory. Again, oh, I will bless the Lord and give. Time. Just say something to the Thank Lord about Lord. Him that you appreciate about Him. You can say it, you can sing it. I love you, Lord. You're so kind to me. You're so generous to me, O oh Lord. Thank you. You give me faith to believe in you, O oh Lord. Everything comes from you. All good things come from you. Me too. We're so grateful today. And give him glory. Yes, we'll give him glory. Yes, we'll give him glory. Time, yes, we'll give him glory. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. I know you'll remember this next song. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. the words right there where, where they were. You girls sing lamp G. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame. Rising again, I bless your name. You are my all When I fall down, you pick me up. together. Jesus. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Attitude of prayer, attitude of openness to the Lord, attitude of listening. God speaks a word to you now during this time. There are mics in the back for you, and we'll give a mic to you. If someone has a word, just raise your hand. 
something that you want to share. It may be a prayer. It may be a word of thanksgiving. Maybe a request. Thank you, Father, that you speak. Thank you, Jesus, that you speak. Your sheep hear your voice. Thank you that Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he will declare to you things that are to come. So speak to your children now. Lord, I, I'm so grateful to be in your presence today. I don't feel worthy, Lord. Mm -hmm. I, my week has been so crazy, and I've not spent the time I needed to in your word. And I just thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for being here. Thank you, Lord, for this place and these people and these pastors. And uh, I, just, I just bow before your throne, Lord. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you, Father. You speak to us in the natural. Uh, when we see the weather warming up, our hearts feel warmer, and and we're we're just we want to put on a happy smile, and we feel a little bit better. And yet we know, even in the cold weather, even in the cold times, the hard times, Lord, you are there. You're the one that warms our hearts. Thank you, Father. You are so good and gracious to us. I feel like the Lord's saying that he's changing the garments of heaviness for the garments of praise. And uh, that he's taking our ashes. Maybe we've looked at our ashes and idolized our ashes, but he says, I've, I've traded them for beauty. And he says, to look upon my beauty. Sometimes it helps us to actually physically do something after we're like that. So you can just, with your hands, if there's something on you that you feel needs to go, you just take your hands. Okay, I'm taking this off. Like I had on a sweater this morning. I thought, no, I don't need a sweater this morning. <laughs> I took it off. So we can take off the garments of fear, the garments of anger, any garments that we have that we're wearing that don't fit us as child, children of God. We can lift those put on off. Garments of praise. Yes, yeah. put on the garments of praise. Thank you. Any other praise. words that anybody wants to share? Okay. Allison, nice to have you with us today. And you brought a friend with you. What's his or her name? Cozy. Cozy. Okay, Cozy. Hi, Cozy. Nice to have Cozy. Those that can't see it, it, it is a dog. Cozy is a doggy. 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 Now, what I want you to do before, before Nate starts to preach, I want you to put your hand out toward Nate. He had his, uh, he had his shots, and uh, he had a pretty strong reaction, and he was not feeling real good yesterday. So we're glad that he's preaching, and glad you can sit down, Nate, and... Uh, be comfortable. So the Lord bless. Let, let, let's just bless him now. The yes, Lord bless you, yes. Nate. Thank you for leading Thank you, Lydia House Church. Well, bless you today us. and in the days ahead. Keep you in strong health. Yes. Keep the enemy away. Yes. His attempt at any point bring you down. We say no to the enemy's devices. Thank you for your strong leadership. Thank you for your love for the people of Lydia House. Thank you for your uh, 
disciplining yourself to be grounded in the scriptures so that you can teach it with freedom and joy. So we look forward to the word God brings to you for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for your prayers. Um, before I get into it, thank you, Allie, for sharing that word. I think that was you. I couldn't see you, but it sounded like your voice. Um, could you do us a favor and write that word down? I, I was struck by that. I think it's significant for us. Something about hanging on to the past, hanging on to those ashes and needing to let them go. I think that's a, I think that's a word for us and I'd like to, I'd like us to look at it and think about it and pray about it a little more. So if you could write that down and email it to me, that would be a help. And for those of you who are joining us today live or on Zoom or whatever, um, pray about that. You know, when the, when the Lord of all creation decides to say something to us, we should take that seriously. Amen? Amen. And that was, I think that was a word from the Lord. And so I encourage you to reflect on your own life. You know, this is a season of Lent. It's an ashen season. And... There may be things in your life, in your past, in your very recent past that have already been burned away. God's already dealt with them, but maybe you're letting them linger a little bit. You're letting the, the ash from those things kind of stick to you or cling to you in a way that, that God says, hey, let's let, you don't need to do that. Um, he wants to exchange beauty for ashes and change a time of mourning into a time of dancing. Yes. And... So I encourage everybody to take that to heart, pray about that word, and see what the Lord might say. Amen? Amen. And thank you for praying for me. I, I did get my second vaccine this week, and apparently my immune system is working because uh, I have had a response to it. <laughs> uh, not actually as severely as I know some have, um, but it's kind of lingering, uh, particularly in my head right now, yesterday and today, I, my head feels very, very large. There's a lot of jokes there. Try to refrain. Um, and uh, it's like foggy. I have a little, little hard time following even my own thoughts. I know everyone normally has a hard time following me, but now even I do. And uh, so I appreciate your prayers. I told CJ beforehand, if I start talking real crazy, he can just mute me and you guys can just have a Bible study. Um, okay, um, please grab a Bible or turn on a Bible. You will need one today, folks. And if I start not being able to preach, we're just going to read the word, and that'll be good enough. Um, John chapter 19 is what we're going to look at to start with, and then we'll kind of flip around a bit. John 19. And this is the, the, the passage about the crucifixion. We're going to skip to the end. John 19, starting with verse 28. And we're going to talk about basically the first half of this this week and talk about the second half next week when I am there in person. Yay! Oh, yeah. I, well, yeah, clap. We're happy. My whole family will be there. And yeah, I'm excited, really excited to be back with you all in person. And Kaylee will hopefully be with on the worship team and possibly debuting a new song. 
Uh, we'll see if she feels up to that. And I believe Blake and Steph will be back too uh, to help with worship. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time. I do want to thank Paul and Karen for pitching in and doing worship. Uh, that's a lot of work for them uh, that they don't normally have to do week after week after week. So I appreciate that, especially this week, having just flown in <laughs> from a probably an emotionally roller coaster of a week, I would assume. Uh, with the memorial and, and everything else. So, Paul, Karen, I appreciate you for that. Let's look at Jesus on the cross. This is towards the end. He's been on the cross for a couple hours now by the time we reach John 19, verse 28. And we read this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now fulfilled, or all was now finished, said, and then John adds in parentheses, to fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So this is the, the last moments of Jesus on the cross that we're going to be looking at today. He's reached the end of his earthly journey, the end of his assignment. The incarnation has been fulfilled. Was it a success? Hallelujah. What do you think? <laughs> Most of us think yes. Yes, yeah. I, I, I believe it was too. Um, but right. Amen. Amen. But right now, he's still in the middle of it. It's, it's, still, it's still the war for Jesus. It's still the battle. It's still the difficulty. He's hung on the cross for a couple hours now. And this is the moment where the creator allows himself to die for the sake of his creation. The creator sacrifices himself for his creation. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful human moments of Jesus in the scripture is seeing Jesus on the cross. And I think that's why it's sometimes hard to look at. It's hard to look at these passages of scripture for Christians because when, when Jesus is our Lord, we, we read the scripture and we see him as God every time we see him. And, and that's appropriate. Jesus was fully God, 100% God. But simultaneously, miraculously, Jesus was also 100% man, 100% human. And it's hard for us to look at Jesus, our Lord, in pain and suffering and torture. That's, that's not easy to do. It's difficult. In fact, I think that's why the church leaders hundreds and hundreds of years ago set up this time of Lent, a time where we're forced to look at this. <laughs> we're forced to look at the stuff that's hard to look at. And I think that's really valuable because these are things that we need to, to understand about Jesus, about ourselves, about the sacrifice that he made for us. It can be easy to forget about all that and go about living our wonderful lives in the new covenant um, without taking time to think about what it cost. And so here he is, he's on the cross. He has been tortured all night long. He is 
beyond weak, beyond, beyond, beyond weak. He has been beaten to the point of being unrecognizable. Scripture said you could not recognize him. Even if you knew him, you wouldn't know it was him. He's a pile of meat. He, he probably can barely see. Um, he can't speak at this point. He is hanging out in the hot, dry Jerusalem sun, covered in blood. I'm sure his lips are split in multiple places, having been beaten all night. And his mouth is caked with blood, and it's all dried and nasty. He can barely breathe anyway because he's being crucified, and the air is just being pulled right out of his lungs. And he can't get a new breath easily. And so he is so weak, he can't talk. And we know he was physically weak as well. He couldn't even carry the cross all the way. They had to grab somebody else to carry it. So he is, he is at the utmost end of human endurance and ability. The man, Jesus Christ, is being pushed here to the, to the very, very edge. And it's hard to look at. But we're going to do it. So he can't even talk, but he needs to say something else. He needs to say one more thing. He wants to say, it is finished. And we're going to look next week at why that's so significant, why it was so important that he said that. So he wanted to talk, and he needed a drink. And the, the thing that they gave them back then on the cross to these prisoners um, wasn't water. It was what, what it calls here sour wine. Now, sour wine isn't wine, isn't what we would call wine. It's what we'd call vinegar. Um, so they gave him vinegar to drink. But think of uh, the cheapest kind of balsamic vinegar you can think of. Not the nice kind you put on your salad, the uh, kind you use to, like, scrub the floor. Okay? We're talking nasty, sour vinegar. And they put it on a sponge on the end of a hyssop branch, and they put it up to Jesus' lips so that he could wet his mouth enough to speak that final word loud enough for people to hear it. He wanted people to hear that he could say it is finished with a loud voice. And then he died. So that's what's going on on the surface here in this passage. But I want to dig into this because as, as often is the case, there's actually a lot going on here under the surface. So Jesus is offered two different drinks on his way to the cross. This is the second one. The first one we read about in Matthew 27, and you don't need to turn there, but uh, in Matthew 27, 34, as he's, as he's right on his way, he is offered wine mixed with gall. He's offered a glass of wine mixed with gall. Gall is also called myrrh. Uh, myrrh should ring a bell, a Christmas bell. Right? Myrrh was one of the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. It was a weird gift to give to a baby because myrrh is used primarily to anoint the dead for burial and to as a painkiller. You know, it's like giving, I don't know, poppy seeds or something. And so he's offered a glass of wine mixed with myrrh as a painkiller. Uh, wine, of course, is a painkiller as well. And they added myrrh to it to make it even stronger. Now, this wasn't done out of the kindness of the Roman government. The Roman government had no kindness. It was not done by the Sanhedrin. It was done by volunteers. It was done by volunteers who saw these prisoners who were about to be crucified, and they were going to experience excruciating, incredible pain. And out of a sense of mercy 
these people would bring wine mixed with gall, mixed with myrrh, um, as a kindness to these prisoners. And so these are just folks who are being merciful, showing the mercy and kindness of God to prisoners who are about to die. And Jesus himself spoke of this uh, during his life before the cross. You know, he talked about visiting those in prison, talked about those less fortunate. And he said, if you give even a cup of cold water to someone like this, you've given it to me, right? Well, here you've got someone, people who are literally giving it to him. And it's not just water, it is painkiller, which trust me, that's exactly what he needed. <laughs> he has been tortured and beaten all night. He is in excruciating, unbelievable pain, and he's about to experience even more. And someone is kind enough to offer him something to help relieve some of that, which was, which was very kind. And I, when I think of helping prisoners, of course, I can't help but think of our friends who the Duicks have introduced us to. And how important it is to reach out with the love and help and mercy of God to those who are in prison. And so we want to keep doing that and keep praying for those folks as a church, as we do. And just as I'm sure the person who offered Jesus this cup was richly rewarded for that kindness, I know that the Duicks will be as well for the kindness that they are showing to our friends in prison right now. But Jesus, surprisingly, he doesn't take the drink. He tastes it. And once he tastes it and know what it, knows what it is, he refuses it. Now that is strange. Why would you refuse a painkiller uh, when you are in excruciating pain? That, that's, that's a weird question, right? Why? Why did he refuse it? Now, some people, you know, have brought up, well, Jesus promised the disciples at the Last Supper that he wouldn't drink wine again until he was with them in his father's kingdom. And that's true. And it could be, it could be that that's part of it, but I don't think that's the real reason. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys think, those of you who are on Zoom or, or live there in the basement? Why, why do you think Jesus said no to what was obviously something that he would have really wanted? <laughs> And I can't hear you real well, so you're going to have to speak up. Because he needed to experience the fullness of suffering in order to be our, our savior. Yeah. That's, that's spot on. Got it in one. This is one of the... One of the truths and difficulties of suffering in general is that sometimes suffering simply has to be experienced. Sometimes God calls us to walk through something. Um, even the psalmist doesn't say he rescued me out of the valley of the shadow of death. He, he walked with me through that. And sometimes we have to walk through it. And, it, and that's just the way it is. And we don't like that, but sometimes we need to do it. And in this case, Jesus needed to do that. As Tim said, he needed to experience the pain of the crucifixion in its entirety, in its entirety because of what he was doing. He was taking the punishment of all the sin of all the world, including you, including my sin, 
including my kids' sin, including my great-great-great-grandchildren's sin. And he was taking the punishment of all of that upon himself, and he needed to experience that. He also needed to keep his head. Uh, now, this just time out real quick. I like throwing out caveats, as you know. This, this is not to say that painkillers are bad or that you shouldn't take them. That's not what I'm saying. I have chronic pain, I, as I've talked about before. I, I have pain every single day in my gums, pain in my sinuses, pain in my um, back and neck most of the time. And, and so I, I have chronic pain all the time, and I take painkillers, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but in this case, Jesus chose not to take the painkiller because experiencing the pain was part of what he was going through. We, we saw this foreshadowed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, and that cup represents the cup of his suffering. We see that previously in the Gospels when uh, James and John say, hey, or actually it's their mom. <laughs> they bring their mom in to say, hey, can my kids sit at your right and at your left? And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what, what it would mean if they, got, if they did that. Um, are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And, and he's referring to that cup of his suffering. And they did drink from that cup, as did Jesus. And when Jesus looked forward to the cross at that suffering, and I'm talking not just about the physical suffering, but emotional, spiritual as well, um, he asked God if that could pass from him and if he could avoid that. Um, but he said, nevertheless, your will be done. And so he submitted to that. And so he knew he had to walk through the suffering. And so I think that's why he said no to the painkiller, because he knew that this was the cup, the real cup he was supposed to drink from was not the cup of the wine with the myrrh. It was the cup of suffering. And that's very brave. I think we can agree. That's very courageous for the man, Jesus Christ, who is at his utmost end. He can barely walk, barely see, probably barely think at this point to say no to a painkiller. It, it, it blows my mind. As someone who has experienced chronic pain for many, many, many years, it blows my mind that he would say no to this. You know, if somebody, if I was about to be crucified, having been tortured all night, and somebody was like, hey, you want some morphine? I would say, uh, make it a double, you know? <laughs> but Jesus says, no, no, I'm, not going to do that. And I think that's, I think that's incredible. Honestly, I, I really do. Um, so the second drink, that was the first drink he was offered. And he said no to that. The second drink, he actually asked for himself. And that's when he received wine on a sponge. And I want you to flip keep your finger actually in John, but then flip back to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, because it says in John that Jesus said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So what is the scripture that Jesus was fulfilling when he said that? Well, we're going to read it. Psalm 69, starting with verse 19. This is, there, there are many passages, uh, particularly in Psalms and Isaiah, but elsewhere, that prophesy the death of Jesus and prophesy the crucifixion, and they're all very difficult. This is, a, this is a poignant one. You know my reproach. 
So Psalm 69, starting with verse 19. You know, this is Jesus talking, you know my reproach, my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart. Now that's interesting. He's not talking about the physical pain here as much as he's talking about the emotional pain. The man, Jesus Christ, is saying, hey, this is breaking my heart. I created this world. I created all these people. And I gave up heaven to be one of them. And now they are rejecting me, forsaking me, reproaching me, torturing me, murdering me. That hurts. A father being tortured and killed by his children. Horrible to even think about, right? And Jesus, Jesus expresses this here. It's really incredible. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. If you've ever experienced despair, you're not alone. Jesus has experienced that too. He knows, he knows what that feels like. I looked for pity. He looked around for somebody to give him just a little bit of pity, a little bit of mercy. But there was none. And I looked for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and then the final line, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And so this passage is quite literally fulfilled here on the cross. As David prophesied, what the Lord Jesus would be experiencing many, many centuries before. We have that in John 19, verse 28, and after this, knowing that all was now finished, and to fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So this, I think this is an important prophetic word, an important messianic word about the cross, because it's so vulnerable. Again, this is God. We're talking about God the Son. 100% God, but 100% human as well. And he has human emotions and human needs, human frailties, human temptations. Imagine the temptation to call down the angels and get off this cross and smite his enemies. That, I would assume that was a temptation. And he doesn't give in to any of that. Instead, he prays for those guys who are torturing him and asks the Father to forgive them. The, but the man, Jesus Christ, during this time is is not only in incredible physical pain, he's in incredible emotional pain as well. He's in despair. He's in despair. He's looking for anyone to give him any, anything, any pity, any comfort, and he finds nothing. He is utterly alone. It's, it's sad. It's hard to look at, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I find it 
I find it very difficult to look at. So in verse 29, John says, they put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop branch and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, this is a great example of really specific detail in scripture. <clears throat> and we've talked before as we've, as we've been talking about how to study the Bible on our own. When the Bible mentions something really specific that it wouldn't need to mention, that's usually an indication that something significant is there. There's a reason it did that. They could have simply said, Jesus asked for, the, asked for a drink and they gave him sour wine. That, that's all that's all it would have needed to say. It wouldn't have, maybe you wouldn't, wouldn't have even needed to say that. It could have just said they gave him a drink, you know. But it specifically says they put a sponge on the end of a hyssop branch and stuck it up to his lips. Like, why mention the kind of stick? This is weird, okay? I want to draw your attention to this. The whole hyssop branch thing is weird. We're in the middle of the crucifixion of Jesus. This is like the pinnacle moment of all human history. Everything that has happened in the Bible prior to this has been pointing to this moment. Everything that happens actually in the Bible after this points back to this moment. Why mention the type of stick that is used to hold a sponge of vinegar up to it? It's very odd, and that's because it's significant, of course. Um, I happen to have a hyssop branch. Because I am the prop master. This is a hyssop branch. This is a giant blue hyssop. We grow some of this in our yard because the flowers at the end are very pretty. This is a fairly tall. Can you guys see this okay? Florida? This is a pretty tall example. This particular variety grows over six feet, sometimes seven or eight feet tall. Those things that you see on the end, those are flowers when the plant is blooming. Now they're dead, of course. This is a hyssop branch. This is a pretty common plant, pretty common flower. The leaves are used for tea. Um, it's believed to have some certain medicinal values to it, but the tea is actually pretty good. We don't rip the leaves off of ours and use it for tea, but I will say that when you gather up these dried hyssop branches and burn them in a bonfire, it does smell wonderful. And so this wouldn't be the exact type of hyssop branch they would have used, because I don't believe this exact variety of hyssop grows uh, near Jerusalem, but it would have been something similar. So we're not talking about a special piece of wood that they like brought in from an ancient temple. We're talking about a weed, <laughs> a wildflower that somebody walked next to a rock and yanked out of the ground. And it said it uses the, it, they use the stalk, so not the pretty flowery parts at the front. Uh, they use the stalk part here at the bottom. And they stuck a sponge on the end of one of these wildflowers and they used that to give Jesus something to drink. Now, why mention this? A, for, for all practical purposes, a very insignificant plant. It's not a special stick. It's not a magic stick. It's not the rod of Aaron. It's, it's not anything significant like in that sense. It's a very common, normal thing that you just burn because it smells good or you make tea from it. So I know a few of you know, so why do you think it mentions the hyssop branch in particular? Give me an answer. It was, it was Ooh, I heard the magic word. They, they 
They were instructed to use hyssop to apply the blood of the lamb uh, for the first Passover, to apply it to the doorposts and lintels of their dwelling place. And that's what would keep the angel of death from visiting their home. Exactly. Man, the Duicks are running the board today, folks. Um, it is very significant that a hyssop branch is being used, and because of that, John specifically mentions it. The very first Passover, they used the hyssop branch to apply the blood of the Passover lamb. So the lamb was sacrificed so that the people could be spared. That was the point of Passover. You sacrifice the lamb so that the people could be spared, and that blood was applied using a hyssop branch. That was the first Passover. The meaning of the first Passover was to point to the ultimate Passover, the ultimate Passover sacrifice, the ultimate Passover lamb, who is Jesus. Now, flash forward, Jesus is on the cross. Literally, it's right before Passover. This is exactly the time of day when the Passover lambs are being killed in the temple. So right now, Jesus is on the cross. The Passover lambs are right now being slaughtered in the temple. And meanwhile, the true Passover lamb is there on a cross being murdered. And, and God went to a, probably a little bit of a length to draw that connection to us so that we could see what it is that is happening here and bring a connection to that first Passover. And there's actually a lot of connections between Passover and the crucifixion that would make a good sermon someday. Um, but here's one that, that's just real, real clear. And he's reminding us, remember that first Passover, folks? And they would have all known that. All, all the Jews who were there would have been like, that's a hyssop branch. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Passover, blood, lamb, sacrifice. And there's Jesus bleeding on the cross. And of course, he is now our ultimate sacrifice. And through his blood, not only are people spared for a night, we're spared from death for eternity. Because we now have eternal life through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So this is, a, this is a really cool Old New Testament connection. I just, I really like this one. And um, so next time you see some hyssop, remember the Passover and remember how God tied that together uh, with the crucifixion of Jesus. And just as, you know, the original Passover lambs would save the children of Israel, now the blood of the true lamb of God would save all believers for all time. Andrew's excited because he didn't know this was hyssop, and now he knows what it is. This is the one that gets really tall that has the, the purple flowers on the top. All these little things are really pretty, like violet purple flowers. Um, I like them. <laughs> he thought one of the girls brought this in just to play with. He didn't know I was preaching with this stick. No, I ripped this out of the garden yesterday. So that's my prop. So... This whole passage really highlights the humanity of Jesus, I think. This is really pointing to the humanity of Jesus. It's drawing together the original Passover, that same God who was faithful to his people back then. He's faithful now to his people here on the cross. And even to the point of being willing to become the Passover lamb, to become the sacrifice. And Jesus, Jesus promised us that he was bringing a new covenant, a better covenant. In, in an original Hebrew covenant, um, you cut an animal in half, you separate it, 
and then both parties of the covenant, they walk in between the sacrifice. And that's why in, in, in the ancient world, they use the phrase to cut a covenant. They don't say make a covenant. They don't say sign a covenant. They say cut a covenant because you chop an animal in half. You kill it. And sometimes they would, you know, take out parts of it. Sometimes they would just chop it up and separate it. Um, but both parties walk through that and say, may this happen to me if I break this covenant. Okay, that's what an ancient covenant was. That's the covenant God made with Abraham. It, it required blood. And there was a sacrificial animal, but there was also circumcision, right? And so to enter into that covenant, the um, Abrahamic covenant, it involved circumcision. It involved blood. Okay, there was a sacrifice there. The amazing thing about the new covenant that Jesus is giving us here in this moment on the cross is that he is not only fulfilling his end of the bargain, he's fulfilling our end too. He's saying, I know you can't be holy. I know you can't be sinless, but I'm going to pay the penalty for you. May this happen to me if you can't fulfill it. And he does. He is the sacrifice. And um, it's not an easy thing for him to do. And we're going to talk about that more next week. About what it is that happened, spiritually speaking, on the cross in order to fulfill this new covenant where Jesus was the sacrifice that was split in two, that we get to walk into. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I, I, love, I love this passage. It's, it's hard to look at it. Yeah. But I like it because it's, it really shows the humanity of Jesus, right? <clears throat> You've got a guy who he can't even get his final word out. So he needs some vinegar on a sponge, which would not feel good on the cuts on your mouth, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he's willing to do it because he needs to get that final word out. And we're going to talk about that final word next week. He could have come down from that cross at any moment. Yes. He could have started glowing like he did at the Transfiguration and floored everybody and knocked them all to their face and said, look what you've done. There's a host of things he could have done. And because he's human, I imagine he may have fantasized about a couple of those things. <laughs> but he didn't give in to that temptation. Instead, he's praying for the people who are torturing him. He's asking the Father to forgive him. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's amazing. He, he's so humble on the cross. See, that's humility. Humility is having the courage to be what God says you are, to do what God says you are, uh, to do what God says to do. And Jesus is walking out that humility now. And it's very courageous. You know, Paul, 
Paul Anderson has talked a lot about how humility and courage are, I forget the analogy he uses, like twins or something like that. They walk hand in hand. To really be humble, you have to be courageous to walk that out. And, and Jesus is really doing that here. He's being very courageous in that humility. And to the point of allowing his own creation to utterly humiliate him and to feel like they won, to feel like they beat him. Um, even the devil at this moment, we know, is feeling like he just won. What just happened? I, I, I just killed the son. This is, this is fantastic. Now he's about to realize that the son sort of duped him, that this was a plan, and that by making this sacrifice, it now allowed him to set, to set all the captives free from heaven and to bring all of us who become part of this new covenant into eternal life forever. But at, in this moment, it looks as if Jesus is losing. It looks as if he's, he's lost. They've beaten him to death, and that's the end. It's extreme weakness. He's really showing his weakness here. He's, it, you don't get more vulnerable than this. You don't get more vulnerable than being tortured all night and then murdered on a cross. The fact that God was willing to endure that is amazing. I don't know how much uh, you guys have studied about other religions, but let's just say the idea of God, of any God, big G, little g, allowing themselves to be tortured and humiliated as a sacrifice for their creation, that is not the hallmark of other religions. In fact, other religions consider that ridiculous. Your God is weak. He is weak right here on the cross. That's true. Your God is humiliated. Why would you follow a God who is humiliated? Well, Jesus was humiliated. That's true too. But this is part of why we follow him. Because he was willing to endure this for us. He endured all of this to take the punishment of our sin on himself so that we wouldn't have to. And so that we could be part of his family. It is, it's amazing. It's amazing to me. Um, I have pages and pages more notes, but I'm going to pause here. I'm going to try to exercise restraint. I'm going to pause. Um, I want to know, are there any questions, comments on the things we touched on today? Oh, I have something. Um, you were asking that question earlier, and, and Tim, you answered, too, and I had a similar thought, but I wrote down uh, that I, I feel Jesus wanted to really uh, have us know that he was feeling all this on purpose, that he was not giving up by asking for the painkiller. There's no way that anybody ever could say, Jesus does not know my pain. That's, that's really good, Karen. And both physical and emotional pain, he's talking here. And in, in the yeah. psalm we read, you know, he was in despair. He was, what's the other phrase it uses? Reproaches have broken my heart. Yeah. 
so that I'm in despair. If you've ever experienced a broken heart, Jesus knows what that feels like. <laughs> if you've ever experienced despair, he knows what that feels like. If you've ever looked around for pity or comfort from others and haven't found anything, he knows what that feels like. It says it right here in the word, in the Psalms. So in, in Hebrews, when the author is looking back on what happened on the cross, he says, we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way we are but didn't sin. And so he experienced what we experience. And he's not some far-off God in a distant city that we pray to once in a while, hope he might shine down on us a little bit of help. That's not the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is once we are in Christ, Christ is in us. He lives right here now, <laughs> that same God. And he experienced despair. He experienced heartache. He experienced heartbreak. Uh, and he did all of that for us. Thank you, Karen. It was intentional. He didn't, Jesus didn't come and fight the Romans and lose. He didn't come and fight the devil and lose. He sacrificed himself. It was a choice. He chose to be this weak. He chose to be humiliated. He chose to be this vulnerable for us so that he could experience all of that for us. And we haven't even touched on the worst part of it all. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more next week. But the worst part of it all is that when God saw that Jesus was a human who had lived a perfect life that made him an acceptable scapegoat for the sin of all mankind. Jesus was an acceptable substitute. He was that perfect lamb. And so Jesus said, I don't deserve punishment, but I would like to take the place of all that punishment. I want you to put that all on me. And so he did that. It, it's called substitutionary atonement in theological terms. So he was our substitute. He was our substitute sacrifice. And all of our sin was put on him. And in that moment, and this is the worst part about the cross. This is what he was really dreading in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't just the physical pain. He knew that was going to be bad. But it was, it was this. The moment that God the Father put the sin of all mankind on Jesus, the effect that that had, because God is holy and sin is the opposite of holy, and under the old covenant, sin separated us from God. That was the problem. That's why we needed sacrifices to begin with. Sin separated us from God under the old covenant. And now, on the cross... Jesus had the sin of all the world placed upon him. And so he was separated from the Father and the Spirit for the first time in eternity past. And the man, Jesus Christ, had to endure the unendurable agony of being separated from his Father. And that was the real torture. That was the real pain of the cross. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But he was willing to endure all that for us. It's pretty amazing. Um, anybody else have any thoughts? Thank you for this wonderful message, Nate. I received much from it. And one thing that I received much from it is that when I am tempted, 
to feel like a victim. Oh, woe is me. Oh, my. Look what the, well, look what's happening to me. Look what I'm going through. And I want other people to feel my pain. That's ridiculous in comparison. And if I look to the cross more and see his pain, then I'm more able to live in the victory of the cross. So I'm glad that you spent time just to let us see the pain that he went through. Yeah. Could Thank I make you, Paul, a comment? For that application, that's really good. I do that as well. When I start feeling a little sorry for myself, I remember what Jesus did on the cross. Even today, I, I don't feel well. I don't feel like preaching, but I'm happy to do it because when I think about <laughs> saying, I don't feel well, I don't want to preach. What are you preaching on? The suffering of Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, well, I can't, I can't call Paul and ask him to, to tag in on this one. That, that would be pretty, pretty inappropriate. And I couldn't have preached it, Nate. You, you did the study. You, uh, it, it was good that you did. We got somebody here in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I just have a little thought about, um, I think it's sometimes it's easy to think that Jesus suffered and almost we can almost see the father as kind of mean. He turned his back on Jesus. I mean, I, I, sometimes, but I don't know what you guys think about this, but I think that the pain was equal for the father. I think we all know every parent would know that they would gladly suffer before their son or daughter would suffer. And that for Jesus willing to do that, and then God's part was, you know, I've always believed that, and, and, and this just may be my own thought, but that sin can't exist in the presence of God. It would burn up in the presence of God. And, and I, all, I believe that um, God separated him, turned his back from Christ just so he wouldn't be destroyed. So it was, in, in my opinion, it was an act of love, and maybe it was just like you said, Nate, where sin has to se separates us from God. But I, I just see the Father's heart every bit breaking as much as Jesus, and just the pain that our Father felt too, and then Christ as our brother. And then I picture... Often I think of, because there's not real gender in this, For the, I don't know, the Holy Spirit, I almost picture that like the wife or mother watching this agony between the father and the son. I mean, the Holy Spirit gets left out of this story, but I mean, he's, he had to be suffering just as much, and I don't know if he was required also to separate himself from Jesus, but maybe he had to too. Yeah, and I so it was it. maybe a double abandonment. I don't know, but I don't think it's... I mean, I, for me, I try to remind myself the Father suffered every bit as much as Christ, although didn't become human in that part, but in his heart, I, I don't know. It's just... I know. I, I, the, certainly the Father and the Spirit suffered with that separation as well. I mean, losing part of yourself. I mean, we have to remember the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... Yes, they're three, but they're one. It's just as correct to call them one as it is to say three, which is something that humans can't understand, so don't bother trying. Um, but it's like losing yourself. 
you know, to, to have that kind of separation. And the father definitely was experiencing suffering in this. You're absolutely right. And interestingly, in the Old Testament, that's the, that's the point of view that they focus on. Um, the, the first major foretelling prophetically of the crucifixion is Abraham when God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Okay? That was the first real picture of this kind of sacrifice. And that story focuses on the father. It focuses on the incredible difficulty and pain of a father having to sacrifice their kid. And of course, God did all that as sort of a play. It was a picture of what was going to happen in the future where God the father would actually have to sacrifice his son. And, and in, that, in that story, though, in the Old Testament, they focus on the father and the pain, and you feel Abraham's torment, right? And in that story, God provides an alternate sacrifice so that Abraham doesn't have to. But ultimately, there is no ultimate sacrifice, no alternate. It, it's, it's Jesus. Right. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't get out of it. He doesn't get out of it because of privilege. He doesn't get out of it because of rank. He doesn't get out of it because of power or ability, he perseveres and he walks through it and faces that suffering. And you're right, it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit so much. It does say, you know, Jesus gave up his spirit, um, but that separation would have been, I think, equally true for the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's certainly not that God was snickering. God the Father was snickering as Jesus was dying, not at all, he's wailing. Of course, they both know what this is for, so it's not like it's not like they're worried or anything like that. But that doesn't mean they don't feel it. the The pain is genuine, which is a real comfort to me when I've experienced genuine pain. To know that God has experienced more than I ever, yes. thankfully, will know. Hey, Nate, I sometimes think of, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, you know, and, and Jesus was there at the beginning, like John tells us. Mm-hmm. And I think of this like a, like a universal or a cosmic chess, chess match between, between the all-powerful God and his created being Lucifer, who's somehow trying to win. I, I don't understand it, but, but you get to, you know, there's, there's part of this chess match happens even before the creation, right? But then you get to Jesus and his incarnation, and then in the idea that Jesus could have jumped off the cross, mm-hmm. and, you know, he could have, but I'm remembering his 40 days in the desert. In, in battle with this Satan. And he kind of conquered that temptation at that time. Mm-hmm. He was given, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I'm imagining Jesus is kind of chuckling to himself as Satan is going through this, but I, that's, that must have been a real temptation, right? I don't think it was. It was a real temptation, yes, for, for the man, Jesus Christ, who was fully man, and fully God, um, the temptation was definitely real. I mean, he had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. He suffered. And probably hallucinating. Yeah. And 
feverish. And we, we don't know exactly because it doesn't stay, but if you don't eat for 40 days and you're hanging out in the desert, uh, your, your physical body is not being nice to you. Yeah. So that, that, that temptation was very real. So that's why I, that's why I think in some, in some ways, God helped Jesus get through that part of it in advance of the cross. And when he was on the cross, he was yeah. focusing on the physical suffering, you know, and because, you know, I don't know, when I'm suffering, I can't think about anything else. I can't that's even, a, even if I have to go to the bathroom, I can't think of anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a very interesting idea, Tim, that um, his previous temptations and previous trials and struggles prepared him for the cross in some way, maybe prepared him to, to face that you know, ultimate temptation. I think that that's a real possibility because I think that's true in our lives, isn't it? when we go through challenges and temptations, as we walk through those things, we get stronger, right? Our, our faith grows, and then we're able to face bigger challenges later. I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever faced a real difficult challenge, whether it was a temptation or, or a physical suffering or emotional suffering or whatever it was, um, and you're going through that and you think to yourself, man, I sure I'm glad I, I wasn't going through this 10 years ago. I don't think I could have made it. I don't know if anybody's ever thought that. I've thought that before. Um, but God brings us along, um, and he grows us, you know, from faith to faith and from place to place. And it could be that that is part of what was happening in Jesus' humanity um, at the time for that temptation. That's an interesting thought. You know... Uh, because we got it at seminary, that the early church, in attempting to understand that Jesus was both God and man, people began to make up some ideas that were a little more believable, that he wasn't fully God, he was just an exalted man. Mm -hmm. Or that he was God, but he really wasn't a man. He was, he was a demigod, you know, that, that he was more like God than man. Yep. And they, they struggled, and they're, and they're still here today. There are churches, as you know, mm -hmm. that are uh, apostate churches because they, they can't put these two together fully. So... I'm saying an amen to your sermon because it's important that we know that Jesus is absolute God and he's absolute man. And this really shows, like you said, the humanity of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And my feeling now, having heard this message again, is thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Praise you, Jesus. I just feel like worshiping for what he was willing to go through because I'm a weakling, and I, I, I can give in and say, hey, I, can't ha I can't handle this. Hey, come on. I can't handle this anymore. Well, <laughs> I haven't begun to suffer, to feel the pain. So thank you for giving us, because this helps us to believe both in Jesus the man 
in Jesus as God. Good. Amen. And we're going to talk about that more next week as well. So uh, how about if you wrap it up and then, uh, and then we'll just have some informal talk here. But thank Great. you again. I'm glad you gave it rather than turning it over to me because I wouldn't have done it. So uh, way to go. Well, thank you, Paul. That was very kind. And, uh, you know, the Lord says his power is made perfect in our weakness. And that was true for Jesus on the cross. And it's true for us now, whether we're uh, about to go to work and feel really sick, <laughs> like me this morning, or whatever your case may be, his power is made perfect in our weakness. We humans... We shy away from weakness. We run away from weakness. We mask weakness. We lie about being weak. Um, and Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do any of those things. It's very interesting. Um, I want to be more like him. <laughs> and I just thought of something. that I know you know this, um, and I might have shared it before, but the, the vulnerability, you said he was more vulnerable at the cross. Uh, I think yeah. you know this, the Latin word vulnus, it means wound. Mm -hmm. So vulnerability is the willingness to be wounded, the willingness to be weak. And yep. talk about vulnerability, you used that word. No one has ever been more vulnerable than Jesus was on the cross. The willingness mm -hmm. to be wounded, literally. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The yeah. chastisement was upon him. The beating, the chastisement. God, God beat up his son. It's, it's so crazy to think that the most powerful human that's ever lived was the most vulnerable yeah. human that ever lived. Yeah. It's just Jesus is so not like we think. He's, he thinks differently. He lives differently. He acts differently. That's why I think it's so important. What Paul says later on is that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can have the mind of Christ. We were promised the mind of Christ. It's accessible to us so that we can think the way Jesus thinks, see things from God's perspective. But our human carnal way of thinking is usually opposite. <laughs> we want to hide that vulnerability or use our power um, to get out of those kind of situations. And God is just the opposite. It's, it's really incredible. Uh, could, before you do the benediction, could I just read a couple verses from Isaiah 53 here? I'll allow it. What'd you say? I said, I'll allow it. Okay. Uh, because uh, I, I said uh, that he was beaten by God, and I thought, wait a minute, is that even right? Listen to this. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we have seen, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we have been healed. And then later on, uh, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So Steve talked about the suffering of God. That's incredible, the, the father, the, the amount of suffering that he went through, along with the amount of suffering Jesus 
that that is way 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 beyond that's it yeah. the, the king who has to put the prince to death you know it's it's unreal and we're going to talk about that more next week but maybe we can all be thinking about it and pondering it this week and about what what does that sacrifice what does that kind of vulnerability what does that look like for us? How does that reframe the way we view our life, <laughs> the way we view our own suffering? Um, because I think it's significant. I think it's significant. But let's pray. Father God, we can't pretend to understand the cross in its fullness. But we are, we are trying in your mercy to understand it as, as best as we are able in our frailty. And it sure is horrible and beautiful somehow at the same time. And I ask that during this Lenten season that you would help us every day to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, what he went through what you went through, Father and Holy Spirit, and that that was all for us. It was all for us. It wasn't to beat up the devil or defeat that enemy. That was an incidental thing. It was for us. It was to bring us into your kingdom, into your family, to allow us to be adopted by you. And we thank you for that. We can't possibly thank you enough, Lord. We thank you that you have paid the penalty for our sin. It was all placed on you and that that separation doesn't exist anymore now that we are in the new covenant. We thank you for that. We receive that in Jesus' name. And I pray that this week you would help us to walk in the truth of the fact that you have already paid it all. We thank you in Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to smile on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.